And as I said earlier, we're, we're drawing to a close. Today's our last Sunday on the, um, uh, this year's fall campaign. And um, it, uh, it has been, in my opinion, one of the best campaigns that we've ever done. There are, we, we've done fall campaigns since probably 19, oh, 19, uh, 2003 or two or somewhere in there. We started doing campaigns in the fall. We can also call them a false series of messages, and there are a few of them that are real standouts. This particular one has been, in my mind, a real standout. It's been based off the Hollywood film God's Not Dead, which was in theaters last, um, last spring, and I just thought it was a great film. You can pick that up, by the way, at Amazon.com or go over to the Bible Bookstore. You can, you can get it over there as well, and I would really suggest that you do that if you don't have it. It's a, it's a good film to have in your library. But um, uh, we started off our fall series by talking about two strong evidences of the reality of God, and those two strong evidences were the fact of creation, that actually it takes more faith to believe in, in atheism than it does, uh, excuse me, in evolution, rather. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in creation, and um, you know that there, are, there is so much of the created world that speaks to the reality of God, of a creator behind it all, that it didn't just happen. And then another aspect that we talked about is the reality of something we call our conscience, how our conscience gives us a sense of right and wrong, and that someone had to put that in us because for the most part, all of us agree as to what is essential the essentials we understand that murder is a wrong we understand that theft is a wrong most all cultures understand that we may disagree in some other aspects but the the biggies we really understand and agree upon it's it's written on the human heart says the word of god and and so we understand from conscience that there must have been someone who put that sense of morality, that sense of ethics within us. And, and so creation and conscience both speak so powerfully of the existence of God. Then we spent a couple of weeks talking about how we can better, more effectively share our faith with a world that doesn't know about Jesus. And it's just been exciting to hear the stories that you are sharing with us about how people are responding as you're sharing with them. Last week, we talked about a more difficult issue, which we're going to kind of be on that theme a little bit today, too. Going a little bit deeper, not only does God exist, but does God care about my personal life, about what's going on in my life at any given moment? And so with the premise that if, if there is a God, but he doesn't care, then it doesn't matter much. But if there is a God and he does care, then it matters immensely. If he is aware of our lives, then it matters immensely. And that's what we talked about last week, that God can be closer to us at times of tragedy and pain, perhaps, than at any other time in our lives. And so tragedy and pain and difficulty does not mean that God has abandoned us or that there is no God, but rather he has made himself available to help us during these times. Today I want to wrap it all up by talking with you about understanding the higher purpose that God has behind life. To me, life must have meaning to have value. If there is no higher meaning to it, then there is no particular value to it. 
And to have meaning, God must be in it. It seems to me that, that probably most people struggle with the concept of the reality of God based on this issue right here. Does what happen, does what happened in my life, does it have value? Does what happens in my life have purpose behind it? Is God aware? Is he fulfilling a purpose and a direction behind what's going on in my life, either good or bad? Now, to most people, value is defined by good. The good that's in my life, I see great value in that. The good that happens to people I love, I see great value in that. We don't define value on the basis of bad things that happen in our lives. And I understand that because as a human being, I struggle at times too with, the, with seeing value in pain. I struggle sometimes seeing the value in the crisis that I'm in at any given moment. And that's something that all of us as human beings uh, struggle with. It is incredibly hard to see value in the loss of a child. But it happens. It's incredibly hard to see value in the loss of a job or in the loss of one's health. It's very hard to see value in the loss of a marriage. And the truth is, it's hard, if we're to be honest, to defend the concept of and the reality of a loving God to someone who is going through a crisis like that. Because we don't identify value with hard issues, we identify value with blessings. And so we, we experience or someone else experience a tragedy and it's very hard to convince them that there is value in what they are going through. As a pastor, I am often invited into those kind of struggles in people's lives. And I think there is this innate desire within most pastors to try to bring a sense of meaning or a sense of purpose to really hard times that people are experiencing, to explain God's purpose that might be behind it. But the truth is, sometimes there is no explanation. Several years ago, I was awakened early in the morning before sunup to emergency lights that were, were flashing into the windows through the curtains and the shades of our, of our home. And I looked out the window to see an ambulance parked in front of the neighbor's house next door. And my heart kind of sank because I knew that they had their elderly mother visiting from out of state. And so I just naturally assumed something happened to Grandma in the night. Until I learned later that the ambulance was not there for this aged mother, but was there for the two-year-old little girl of the family who had died in the night from what is known as Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, SIDS. A few days later, Carrie and I attended the, uh, the funeral of the little girl. And I will tell you there is nothing harder 
than standing beside the casket of a little child. To be beside a casket that's not much bigger than this. And to see that little body inside of there. It, 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 no matter how hard I tried, I could not keep the tears back from streaming down my cheeks. All the more so because Carrie and I had a daughter, Christy, who was the same age at that time. And so we really identified with what those parents must have been going through. When the funeral was over and we had a chance to talk with them, I will tell you honestly that there were no easy, clean, convenient, plausible answers as to why that had happened. And we didn't try to offer any. And it's often at those times of life that that people get angry at God. Some people blame him, like he's the one who killed the little girl. That, that's how they see it in their mind, or whatever tragedy. Others question him. Well, God, if you're a God of love, why couldn't you stop this from happening? And that seems reasonable to us. And some I have seen get so angered at God angered about the tragedy that they outright reject any thought of the reality of a loving God altogether. In the movie, when it got right down to it, that's what triggered the professor's atheism. If you haven't seen the movie, the movie centers on a debate that takes place on a university campus between an atheistic professor and a Christian student. And when the atheistic professor demanded his entire philosophy class to acknowledge that God is dead, the Christian student would not do it, and so the professor changed the game, and he said, all right, your grade will be based on your ability to debate the reality of the existence of God. And the class will be will offer the grade. If you win the debate, then they will offer the grade. If I win the debate, then I, the teacher, will offer your grade. So there was great risk involved in this. But the Christian student, being put on the spot, had to do it. Uh, The bulk of the movie is then involving the... the, uh, the contrast between these two personalities and the debate between them about the reality of God. When it got right down to it at the very end, the Christian student challenged the atheistic professor. Here's a clip. Do you hate God? (laughs) It's not even a question. Okay. Why do you hate God? This is ridiculous. Why do you hate God? Answer the question. You've seen the science and the arguments. Science supports his existence. You know the truth. So why do you hate him? Why? It's a very simple question, Professor. Why do you hate God? Because he took everything away from me. Yes, I hate God. All I have for him is hate. 
can you hate someone if they don't exist? You've proven nothing. Maybe not. They get to choose. Is God dead? God is not dead. God's 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 not dead. professor's hatred towards God was the fact that he had lost his mother, a good Christian woman, a godly woman, to cancer. He couldn't reconcile that with the reality of a loving God, and so he decided not only did God not love, but God did not exist. By the end of the movie, well, I won't tell you. If you haven't seen it, I want to ruin it for you. So you go out and get the film and watch it for yourself. It's worth seeing. But right there, it kind of gets, this is the crux of a lot, for a lot of people is if there is a God, why is there so much pain? If there is a God, why is there tragedy in life, especially to the innocent? But to me, it's exactly at this point that you need God in your life. For any of this to have meaning, whether it's blessing or it's tragedy, there must be purpose behind it. There must be a sense within us as human beings that God's purposes, which are always good, even when we don't understand them, are being fulfilled. That there is purpose behind what to us seems to have no purpose. Now, we tend to judge everything on the basis of our understanding. So to human reasoning... God can't exist if there is terrorism in the world. God can't exist if there is disease in the world, or there is SIDS in the world, or there is murder in the world. How can God love me if a co-worker cheats his way up the corporate ladder and gets the promotion I deserve? How can there be a God who loves me when that happens? How can there be purpose behind what ISIS is doing in the Middle East right now? How could there have been a God of love watching over the world when Hitler did what he did to six million Jews? 
How can there be a God who loves me when the one who told me that they would love me through sickness and health till death does part has just walked out the door for somebody younger? And what's the grand purpose behind the loss of my job? How can there be value to that? And all of that sounds so reasonable to us. To human understanding, these crises tell us that God must not exist, and if he does, he doesn't care about us. It reminds me so much of the story of a man by the name of George Temp- excuse me, Charles Templeton. Most of you have never heard of Charles Templeton, but you have probably heard of his associate, a man by the name of Billy Graham. In the late 1940s, Templeton and Graham were taking the North American continent by storm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were coming by the the thousands and the tens of thousands in both Canada and the United States. It was an unbelievable phenomena that was taking place as people were coming out to hear these men preach and coming to Jesus Christ. But the truth is, most of them came out to hear Templeton. He had a way with words. He had a, he had a, a, a way of forming those words. And, and it just drew the hearts of people. It drew them in. He was a powerful preacher. And, and all of the experts, the pundits of his day, of that time, thought that he would be the one of the two to impact the world the most. But doubt entered Templeton's heart. And that doubt came in, it's centered right here on this issue. How can there be a loving God? This is what he said. How can there be a loving God if there's so much pain in the world? How could a loving God allow that to happen? It became such a stranglehold in Templeton's faith that he not only left the ministry, but he walked out on his faith in Christ entirely. And he became an avid atheist. The rest of the story is that Templeton died at the, I don't know what age, but in 2001, he died after writing one of the most heartbreaking books entitled Farewell to God, having never made things right with God. I think that this is Satan's number one attack against human beings, to imply that because there is evil, there must not be good. To imply that because there is evil, there must not be God. But it's exactly at this point that there must be God. Because if there is no God, then nothing in life makes sense. If there is no God, then there is no sense of true evil. If you have no good to compare it to, if there is no purpose in our suffering, then life has no value. It is my fundamental belief that life does have value and that each and every one of you have value, more value than you know. And that causes me to know in my heart the reality of a God who loves and who cares about us in this life. It causes me to fundamentally know that there is a God who guides and who directs us 
with eternal purposes. I, as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of a song I heard back in the 1960s before most of you were born. I was age two, but I remember the song <laughs> vividly. <laughs> it, was, it was sung by a woman by the name of Peggy Lee. I don't know who wrote it. I could have had that information. I didn't bother with it. Sung by a, a woman by the name of Peggy Lee. Some of you may remember it. it. The name of the song was, If That's All There Is. And she would speak the verses of the song, and then after each verse she would sing the chorus. I'll give you the chorus at the very end. For time's sake, I'm going to whip through each of the verses quickly. But this is what the song would say. I remember when I was a very little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced through the burning building out to the pavement. I stood there shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? And when I was 12 years old, my father took me to a circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And so I sat there watching the marvelous spectacle and I had the feeling that something was missing. I, 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 don't know what it, I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a circus? And then I fell in love, head over heels in love, with the most wonderful boy in the world, and we would take long walks by the river or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes. I have to pause and tell you, you know right there, this is not a real story. There isn't a guy in the world who will sit and stare into the eyes of a woman for hours. I'm sorry, girls. I know that you were in the palm of my hand as I was reading that and thinking to yourself, I wish this dude next to me would do that with me. But I want to tell you, I want to set it straight. No guy does that. They may do it for 10 or 15 seconds, not for hours. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> and she says, we were so very much in love. Then one day he went away and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm in no hurry for that final disappointment. For I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, and this is the chorus, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all. As I was preparing this message, that song came to my mind. I have no idea why, but it did. So I looked it up on the Internet to see if I could find the words, and obviously I did find the words, and when I read them, I was so depressed I was ready to kill myself. <laughs> Good night. What a way to live, huh? 
What a philosophy of life to live by, that right there. That, I, I think what bothered me most about that song was, was her reference to her final days where, where she said that she was in no hurry for what she called that final disappointment. And I thought to myself, man, how opposite that is of the way I view it. How excited I am to see Jesus. How excited I am for eternity. That doesn't mean I'm going to walk out in front of a Mack truck. I'm going to stay here as long as God wants to use me for God's glory and God's kingdom. But when the day comes for my final breath, I know it will not be a final disappointment. But I'll know that everything I had hoped for, everything I had dreamed of, is going to come true to far grander aspect than I ever dreamed it would. It's going to be far more than I ever dreamed possible. But you know, when you, when you don't know that God exists, that's your philosophy of life. Because if you don't believe in God, all your eggs are in the basket of this world. All of them. And when that egg breaks, that's it. You have nothing to look forward to. But when Christ is the center of your life, the philosophy of that song has no, no hold on your life anymore because of what God has done for us through Jesus. I want to tell you something this morning. If all God does for you ever in your life is save your soul, He's done more for you and me than we deserve. If he never heals us of one thing, if he never provides one penny, red penny in our pocket, if he, if he never comes through in any miraculous fashion whatsoever, the fact that he saved our souls and we have eternity with him is more than any one of us deserve. And never forget that. Never lose the joy of that. Never lose the wonder of that. God has saved you. The reality is he has offered other promises as well. But when you feel like he owes you, that's a dangerous place to get into. You have to look at it this, not only this Thanksgiving, but every day of your life ought to be Thanksgiving. Thank you, Father, for saving my soul. Thank you, Father, for working a miracle in my kid's life. Thank you, Father, for restoring my marriage. Thank you, God, for setting me free from that addiction. Thank you, Father. On and on and on we can go. All glory goes to God. Well, let me give you one promise that God makes to us. We'll wrap it up right here. Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That verse is making a very specific promise to us in the midst of crisis that happens in the world. I want to break that down for you into its, its logical phrases. The first phrase is, we know. We can know some definite things in our walk with God. We can know some definite things in this life. 
It's not something you will know by proving it through a microscope or a telescope. It's something that you will know in your heart. You'll know that your life has more meaning and more value than just getting up in the morning, going to school or work, coming, to, coming, coming home that afternoon or evening, eating a meal together, going to bed, and getting up and doing it over and over and over and over and over throughout a lifetime. There is more meaning to your life because there is a God who has given you you meaning and purpose and if you haven't found that purpose yet God wants to reveal himself to your life so that you know that you know that you know that you have purpose in life God has meaning for you and you can know that the second phrase we know that God causes there is a cause and effect operation in effect in our lives God is causing things to come together for the good of us, even when we can't understand it, even when we don't know what it might be. Now, it's important that you know what things God causes and what things he doesn't cause. He doesn't cause tragedy. He doesn't cause cancer. He doesn't cause SIDS or a thousand other tragedies that come upon the human condition. But he's talking here about your life personally. It's saying there is purpose. It's saying there is direction to your life. Even in tragedy, if Jesus Christ is the center, he will cause something to come out of it. And specifically, it's the next phrase, everything to work together for the good. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good. That doesn't mean that everything is good. Disease isn't good. Divorce isn't good. Uh, uh, terrorism isn't good. Losing your job's not, but what God promises is that he will turn all of what happens to us into good if you will make him the center of your life, the Lord of your life. Not just ask him to be your Savior, but make him your Lord. That means he calls the shots. And when you let him call the shots, that doesn't mean you're perfect, but when you, when you blow it, you get it right with God real quickly all over again. And you let Jesus call the shots through the power of his written word, through the power of, of his spirit speaking to you, through the anointing of, of, of wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord who know Christ and know the ways of the Lord. When you listen to these things, God will bring everything together. You know, pain is not fun. But if you can look past the pain and see what might come out of that, that in time, the tragedy will not have the final word. Hallelujah. Cancer is not going to have the final word. The plan and the picture of God is going to be the final word in your life when you make Jesus your Savior and your Lord. And that brings us to the last promise of those who love God. And so it's, let's read it again. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And so this promise isn't for everyone. So I thought God loved everybody equal. He does. But his purposes are only fulfilled in the lives of people who surrender their lives to him. This one, this promise, is for those who love God. And the Bible is very clear how you define people who love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And so you show your love for God by not allowing culture to define right and wrong in your life, but you let God define what's right and wrong. 
It is easier, listen to me, it is easier to let culture define for us. It's easier when you go to school, if you go along with what everybody else is saying. It would have been easiest for that student at the university that the movie's about to have said, okay, just temporarily I'll say God is dead. And then I'll repent of it when I go back to my dorm room. Just to get by. It's always easiest to, to fit in with what the movies and what the television shows are telling you is the norm. Don't do it. You define your love for God by allowing him to set the standard in your life. On the authority of Scripture. On the authority of Scripture. Not on pop culture. There's a lot that the Supreme Court says is lawful that God says will send you to hell. And you need to know that. You need to know what God says, not what the Supreme Court says, not what government says. It's what does God say, not what Hollywood says. What does God say? And when you surrender yourself to this loving God through Jesus Christ, his purpose begins to form in you the most incredible value that you've ever known. I want to tell you, and I'm done, that I know that God exists. I know that he loves you. I know that he has a wonderful plan for your life. And I know that he has a way out of the greatest crisis that you and I face, which is not cancer, which is not joblessness. It's sin. The greatest crisis is sin. And God has a way out of that for you. So in answer to Peggy Lee, that is not all there is. There is a God who loves, who loved her. Whether she accepted him before she passed, I don't know. But there is a God who loved her, who loves you. And you say, how do I know he loves you? He loves me. How do I know he loves me? You look at the cross, and this is God saying, I love you this much. What a great message by Pastor Jim. We pray that it's been a blessing to you, and it's encouraged you today. Please visit us online at lifechurchutah.com, and you can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 